I'm Farah Duro, and you're listening to the PCS Revolution Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the third season of the PCOS Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Farah Duro, and today, uh, to kick off our third season, we have a very special guest. His name is Dr. Paul Magarelli, and he is a board-certified REI, Reproductive Endocrinologist and Infertility Specialist, who is also the founder and medical director of HQA Fertility Centers. And Dr. Magarelli is a strong advocate of traditional Chinese medicine, and he serves as a frequent lecturer worldwide on topics that range from infertility to PCOS, menopause, andropause, and the treatment of insulin resistance. So I'm so happy to have him here today. Welcome, Dr. Magarelli. Thank you so much, my It's nice to speak with you today. And I know that you've been working with acupuncturists and a lot of practitioners in our field for over a decade now, I believe. So it's, it's been a, or longer. And your wife's also an acupuncturist. Uh, so if you could just uh, tell us a little bit about what brought you to work with an integrative care model that you're currently working in now. Oh, I'd be glad to. Um, actually, I can uh, blame it, if that's the right word, on Dr. Diane Credenda, my wife, who at the time uh, I had opened up a practice in Colorado Springs. She came to visit. Uh, she had been working uh, with a practice up in Denver, but she really felt strongly that um, the integration of uh, uh, traditional Chinese medicine and, uh, and sort of an IVF doctor would be a good thing. And I was very resistant to the idea. She came in, visited, and I'm a very data-driven guy. I mean, I trained at Duke, I trained at UCLA, and I have a PhD in, in nutritional biochemistry and physiology. So I really challenged her and said, listen, as much as I'd like you to, to, to believe what you have to say, can you show me some data? And of course, she had just one, one paper, the Polis study. And I said, yeah, just keep sending me this stuff and that's fine. And over the course of, a, of about a year, she kept sending me stuff to read. Very persistent, if you know Diane. And um, I had at a point uh, five patients where I was having real difficulty with getting them beyond this, you know, beyond treatment to, to, to getting pregnant. And I felt exhausted of, of options. And I sent them to her, of course, three out of five of them came back without my help pregnant. And, um, I was challenged by the idea. And so long story short, uh, we did research together now almost 18 years. Um, we published many, many abstracts and papers and as she said, um, research led to romance, and um, we ended up getting married in uh, 2009. Um, but really, I think the big the big issue for me was creating what I call one medicine. This concept of the patient as the focus, and it doesn't matter what the branch of medicine is. If there's a way we can help, let's figure it out. And I, I, I was uh, part of the initial process of developing the, um, the American Board of Oriental Reproductive Medicine, and I've been advisor to it now ever since its inception. Science certainly has been a founding member and board member. And I have found that by integrating traditional Chinese medicine with Western medicine, you enhance, number one, the understanding of the patient, but two, modalities are better defined um, because of that integration, the two points of view. And then finally, I think efficacy uh, is obvious. I mean, our studies show at least a 20% improvement in live births 
using the Credenda Maguli acupuncture protocol that was developed by Dr. Credenda. And so that's kind of that's kind of what has kept me in the field. And today, all of my centers, uh, the HQA fertility centers, will be integrated completely with, um, you know, with um, you know fellowship trained uh, uh, acupuncturists, traditional Chinese medicine docs, and board certified reproductive endocrinologists. I think that is extraordinary, and I do want to thank you for your contribution to our field because I was uh, the first one of the well, actually we were a part of the first group to sit for that board exam in 2008, and we didn't know what to expect. But I think that it's just um, adds a different layer of expertise to patients, also trying to seek out acupuncturists who are knowledgeable in both languages and Eastern and Western fertility treatment, um, because as you know, everything changes from day to day with, uh, with reproductive medicine. So it's, um, it's really crucial, I think, to have that. So if you could just uh, share something we don't know about your area of expertise that women with PCOS, we should know, what would that be? Well, I am unique in that my PhD is in nutritional biochemistry and reproduction, and I did 10 years of, um, of uh, work as a research scientist looking at sex-specific nutritional requirements uh, for marine animal reproduction prior to becoming a physician. Um, my unique area outside of reproductive medicine is in the area of bariatric medicine, which is creating, I created the Advanced PCOS Institute, which actually transformed into the Institute for Sustained Health when uh, the husbands and uh, daughters and sons of my PCOS patients saw such dramatic improvements in their health that they wanted their husbands and, and, and children to benefit. So we transitioned from the Advanced PCOS Institute to the Institute for Sustained Health. and. That then transitioned into the creation of a medical management of bariatric patients. Bariatric patients were morbidly obese patients who either get surgery or medical management. And of course, with the obesity crisis uh, that we see today, um, I took my, you know, many, many years of advanced training in nutrition and biochemistry and created a model for the management of PCOS patients and then again their families. And that in turn, because of the obesity associated with PCOS, uh, then created uh, two uh, hospital-based integrated uh, bariatric uh, programs. It's uh, integrated with medical management and surgical uh, management. Um, and so that's kind of uh, something that most folks would not imagine a fertility doctor doing. Um, I continue to publish in the area and work with some of the best names in the field um, regarding the obesity crisis because, you know, it's it, although it's um, you don't have to be obese to be uh, uh, if you have PCOS, uh, but it unfortunately is a sequela of the insulin resistance that's developed because of the propensity for PCOS patients to be insulin resistant and thereby pre-diabetic. And so it really marries together very uh, well. Uh, and the program that I developed actually um, shows sig significant impact on, on, on fertility as well as um, weight management and health overall, uh, such that about 25% of my patients who are just strictly in the Institute for Sustained Health's program, they actually get pregnant uh, without, without my 
fertility assistance hat on. So I, any medications I, with that program? Or yes. Is- yes. Well, the answer is yes and yes and yes. It is a lifestyle program, which I think is always your best approach, but it's not, you know, and again, I'm using the term uh, realistic. Uh, it's just, it's just so difficult given, again, I know your audience is international, but right now obesity is an international problem, but especially in the U S the, um, it's easy to say, just change, you know, your lifestyle and life will be perfect, but you there are adjunctive medications. There are, uh, non, you know, non, uh, non clinical, uh, things you can do in terms of support groups and education, there are certainly roles for mental health uh, practitioners to get root causes of behavior because it's a behavioral issue. Uh, certainly uh, movement, I don't use the term exercise, I think movement are, is critical, period. And uh, despite everybody's uh, protestations against it, there is this sense of um, you know, caloric deficiency that's required in any uh, model. And, and, and you have to have a support system for that. And you have to have tricks. I always say we have to trick people into health, um, you know, by giving them tools to delude their brains into thinking, you know, they're splurging when in reality, they're actually doing something that's uh, contributing to their health instead of taking it away. So yes, lifestyle medications, you know, I'm, I'm unfazed by those who poo poo medications as a, as a way of of helping couples. I do think it plays a role. I, I love allopathic medicine. I, you know, I think drugs are good, despite what it says. And um, I think it's, it's a compliment. Of that change on future generations of grandchildren and great-grandchildren. So the first and foremost, the issue of PCOS, and I'll still use that term, or insulin resistance, is that it damages you. It damages your cardiovascular system. It damages your your uh, central nervous system. It damages your reproductive system. It, it it negatively impacts you know you socially. It negatively impacts you psychologically. It certainly can create issues related to uh, emotional uh, instability associated with hypoglycemia and hyperglycemia. So managing uh, PCOS is really about uh, finding the, the, the root cause for damage in your system and mitigating it prior to getting pregnant or prior to just simply going out and having a good time. So um, understanding that excess androgens in a female, androgens being male hormones, is not really what the, the female system is designed to have. And that insulin, unfortunately, at high levels, and insulin resistance in particular, in the ovary leads to excess amounts of male hormones, which despite the dermatologic issues of acne and hirsutism and acanthosis nigricans, the staining of the creases with the dark pigment, it actually impacts, you know, ovulation, it impacts reproductive function, it impacts the laydown of, um, of plaques within the uh, cardiovascular system. Um, just as an aside, you know, the whole idea of myocardial infarctions, heart attacks, it doesn't happen in women until age 51 and, and, and above significantly because typically in a non-PCOS uh, patient, their androgens are low, whereas men, their androgens are always high and they tend to get plaque formation. So, so if a young lady, a young woman, is having 
androgen levels close to males, they're at greater cardiovascular risk than females who don't have that. So preventative management of the root causes of PCOS symptomatology, because today we have massive amounts of women who are misdiagnosed as having what is a sort of a hereditary PCOS as more of an iatrogenic PCOS, in other words, caused by the, the environment that they're in. But, they're, but the damage to the system is the same. So if you aren't having a genetic propensity for PCOS, but you manifest PCOS symptoms because of lifestyle, we'll use the term lifestyle generally, uh, you still have to fix it um, from a health standpoint. Right. And basically, we could say that it can set you up for uh, diabetes and heart disease if it doesn't go treated. Correct. Totally agree. Uh, the correlation between the diagnosis of PCOS and cardiovascular disease and diabetes is, is not necessarily linear, but certainly suggests, uh, you know, a one-to-one impact. And, I mean, if you could think of... Um, like greatest aha moment you've had when you've seen a patient who is working with natural medicine and also uh, Western medicine with PCOS, what, what, would you, what would you say that moment has been? Well, the number one moment that uh, Diane uh, helped me understand, that's uh, Diane Credenda, was that in, in, in uh, allopathic or Western medicine, we define PCOS as a thing. Whereas in traditional Chinese medicine, it could be 20 to 30 things, each with a hint at the etiology and possible um, therapeutic intervention. That was amazing to me when I would talk to Diane about how, does it, how do you see this in Chinese medicine? And she'd have this ungodly list of ways it's seen, which also provides areas in which you can um, uh, intervene. Uh, so the biggest aha moment was, gosh, if I work with traditional Chinese medicine docs, they will give me way more insight into what's going on with that patient than simply what I would define them as, which is really one definition. The other thing was um, on the Western medicine side, specifically on the nutrition side, the role of starvation. Uh, most of our, our PCOS patients are starving even though they may be overweight or they may be obese or they may, they may have issues related to excess fat, they're starving. Every one of the cells that we worry about, brain, muscle, bones, and eyeballs, those are starving, whereas fat cells are accumulating at a rapid rate because fat cells don't have the propensity for insulin resistance, as do cardio, uh, muscle cells, uh, you know, uh, brain cells, etc. So my aha moment was... The way to treat PCOS is to feed these patients. It's not to where everyone wants to do diet and exercise and starvation as a model of managing. As a matter of fact, the more I can get my PCOS patients to eat appropriately, though, uh, they, their, their route towards wellness is accelerated. So many of us, unfortunately, had the bias that if you're overweight, it's because you, know, you're, 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 you have gluttony of some sort. But if you divide the person not into an entity, but into uh, 3.6 trillion cells and understand how the cells work, you actually realize that these poor patients' cells 
are starving, even though they're accumulating fat. And so those two very uh, unique perspectives on uh, insulin resistance PCOS is it changed everything for me as a scientist physician and certainly it helped me create the, you know, the Institute for Sustained Health and the Bariatric Wellness Programs because it was like, oh my God, these obese patients, most of which are, if they're female, tend to have PCOS-like symptoms, are starving. And if you get them to traditional Chinese medicine docs, they will, they will reveal, because of your terminology, reveal another way of looking at this syndrome. And so I, I would say those are my two biggest ones. That is um, definitely a light bulb moment because we have a lot of patients who come in saying, I don't know why I'm gaining weight. I'm not eating anything. I just right. don't eat anything and I just keep gaining weight. And it's one of the most frustrating things about PCOS, I think, is because by the time they come to us, they've already tried every single weight loss program and exercise program. And also they're exercising quite a bit, I have to say, a lot of patients that are coming in. So it's not that they are not trying. It's just that uh, it's the level of frustration is just uh, reached its height. And I think when you give someone a plan, like, okay, here's, these foods are great for you and you should eat them as much as possible. Then that's kind of like a, whoa, you know, you mean I can eat I more? Can't do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> are you crazy? <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the other thing. And this is what blew my mind is that there's no data in animals or humans that has ever demonstrated exercise to, to create weight loss. There are none. Rats, mice, humans, not one piece of data supports the idea that increasing exercises increases weight loss. What it does do is it reduces the weight gain, which is not the same thing. And for humans, it's about 90 minutes daily of high intensity exercise for it to have a, a neutralizing effect, not a weight loss effect. So my PCOS patients are not allowed to exercise the first year. Wow. Yeah, and, 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 and it's remarkable how you, ch by simply changing the paradigm and saying you're starving and exercise is only causing you to get weight gain, that's enough to knock them off the, 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 their, their sense of normal order in the universe, which has not served them. The, you know, the order of the universe of diet and exercise equals weight loss has never worked. But for some reason, they're the failure, not the medical institutions demanding it. So to knock that pedestal off that pedestal that this is the way to view it and view it differently. Now you have an opportunity. You have a learning opportunity, a teaching opportunity, a, a therapeutic interventional opportunity. So with a deep understanding of the root causes, it helped me go, okay, this is, this is going to work. And that's, I guess, how the, the, the practice grew so dramatically and, and, and we've uh, continued to develop in this area is change, change your perspective. If that perspective never succeeds, then it's not you who's the problem. It's mm -hmm. the perspective that's the problem. Well, everybody now just sighed this big sigh of relief. Like, are you serious? I don't have to kill myself at the gym. <laughs> that is so true. That is so true. Yeah, most uh, PCOS patients exercise more than others and eat less than others and gain weight or easier than others. So that's just the, the biggest unfairness in the universe. But you know what? 
that's okay. As long as you understand it and we have a tool, let's use the tool and go forward. While we're on the subject of diet, do you have one that you recommend more? Let's say keto, low carb, mm-hmm. uh, any of um, paleo? What, sure, what sure. Let me help you on that. A couple of things. Um, diet is consumption of, of, of foods that provide health and wellness and, and uh, energy to do the activities that you really would like to do. Uh, another way of looking at diet is dying with a T. You know, D-I-E-T is dying with the T. If you diet, you're, you're asking your body to kill itself, right? Deprive itself, get to zero. The end of a diet is to die. I mean, that's your removing, removing, removing. If the goal then is how do I nourish the, the trillions of cells I have, how do I reduce the propensity to add fat instead of energy or heat, um, then, you know, the, the answer is as straightforward as the biochemistry. If you understand that the biochemistry of insulin resistance, I'm sorry, of PCOS is insulin resistance, and and again, that would be a whole lecture, but let's assume it is, then anything you can do to reduce insulin resistance will mean that your cells will use the food for heat and building things as opposed for fat accumulation and storing things. So anything that causes dramatic increases in insulin would be damaging because it would make you more insulin resistant and push you more towards fat accumulation anything that is neutral which means it does neither can be used as energy and anything that is expensive to metabolize which means it tends to take 25 percent of the energy of the food and just simply in the process of of eating or, or metabolizing would be advantageous because then you can get that satiety thing. So um, here's my easiest rule of thumb for this whole process. Um, carbohydrates causes a dramatic increase in insulin secretion. Even the thought of that cookie or pancake or cake, the very thought of it causes a dramatic increase in insulin. Proteins are very expensive to be to be metabolized by the body. You lose 25% of the calories within the protein just to simply get it into the body, and it builds things. It repairs things. Fats, on the other hand, are fairly neutral. They come and they go and do whatever the heck they want. Uh, they don't cause fat accumulation. Fat never does that, although that's the misunderstanding about fat. So you would want something that has a relatively low carbohydrate amount, a moderate amount of protein because it's a great satiety and it's expensive and a fairly high amount of fat because it does serve as a nice alternative for energy which doesn't cause insulin over secretion. So a high fat, moderate protein, low carbohydrate approach. And then your your this idea of keto, paleo and all this other malarkey which are cute names, um, the real thing is it's food and how is it consumed inside you. So. You don't have to be on a thing, but if it gives you a pattern, you know, the pattern is to approach ketosis. Why? Well, ketosis is just simply fat burning. That, that's, that's really all it is. It's not magic. It's simply bat, fat burning. So your goal would be into a fat burning, energy optimizing system. So uh, for, the, for everyone, <laughs> getting down to about a 50 gram of uh, of total carbohydrates a day while maintaining a slightly higher amount of of caloric fat consumption as opposed to protein with enormous amounts of fluids and electrolytes because the electrolytes are critical 
as you lower your carbohydrate consumption or else you're going to get fatigue and, they, and kind of a flu-like symptoms. You know, so anything that does that, does that. So you know, we were joking about, you know, breakfast this morning, but a typical breakfast for a person would be a couple of eggs in the morning, cooked in butter, real butter, uh, maybe a couple of slices of bacon and some sliced avocados, you know, and some maybe flaxseed and some salt and pepper and maybe some turmeric on it. So that's a very simple one plate, five minute kind of thing. You know, 10 o'clock or so, maybe a piece of cheese, you know, noon or so, anything green and crunchy is a vegetable you want to eat. So above the ground greens, uh, lots of olive oil, maybe slices of cheese, some walnuts, some chicken or pork. Uh, then, you know, uh, three or four in the afternoon, maybe, you know, you, you have some almonds, um, you know, a handful of almonds. Then, you know, five or six, you come home, you have a nice steak, a good ribeye, really fat and juicy, maybe put some butter on it. Cook some of the asparagus, put some butter on it, then just put some butter on the butter. And then um, a nice glass of Cabernet. And then maybe at the end of the day, you eat a fat bomb, which is dark chocolate and, and coconut. And, you know, that's a life. To me, that's a life. And, and um, in- yeah, and I think that I run into issues sometimes when someone comes in saying that they're vegan and they have PCOS. Yeah, Absolutely. And I'm like, okay, let's think of protein sources. I know there's lots, and uh, but you know that's one of the challenges that we face sometimes. Yes. Well, proteins and fats are building blocks of cells, muscles, energy, blah blah. Carbohydrates are just simply sources of energy. It's like gasoline. It's not the car. So in, in the vegan community, you know, um, I, I, again, I get confused with vegan and lacto ovo pescatarian. You know, blah blah blah. I just don't. I, it's hard to say what they're talking about, but if someone absolutely uh, doesn't have access to any sources of animal protein of any sort, from be it from cheese or eggs or meats or fish or fowl or what have you, yeah, that's a real challenge, and I'm not quite sure. I'm, I'm not. I've always just kind of, I've kind of zoned out because the only way you can do it is things with like spirulina or other sources of. Um, uh, you know, uh, hemp-based protein or pea powder proteins, just to get the protein part of it. Um, but unf- but fortunate or unfortunate, um, they tend to also try. To, they tend to be also low fat. So, and that's scary from a standpoint of brain physiology, because right now they're actually considering and are really seriously considering Alzheimer's type three diabetes, and it's just simply insulin resistance of the brain. And so without fat, which is what the brain is made of, you, you end up creating, literally it shrinks and plaques form and communication doesn't work. And, and so that was my biggest concern is adequate amounts of oils. Uh, you can pretty much find a protein that's plant-based. Um, it's hard not to have a lot of carbohydrates though as a vegan, but again, you know, you have to do the dance of what works for you. So. I don't have a quick and easy answer for vegans. I don't. What is the one thing that you wish every woman with PCOS in the world knew? That they're starving. If they understand that their cells are starving, once you feed your cells, you will manage your PCOS. And how do you do that is with something relatively uh, large amounts of uh, fat, moderate amounts of protein, low amounts of carbs. And once you get your brain in the right place, because your brain is is 
is really is it uses about 25 percent of what you consume just to, to run it to run that machine and if that machine is starving decision making willpower uh emotions and all that get you know this this disoriented or dysfunctional so if you would trust that you know your your goal is to to feed not diet and to to function not simply limit um, I think that will go a long way for them to make better decisions. There's lots of information out there, but it, the, the decisions are confusing. I would say the most important decision of the day that you'll probably come across with PCOS is what you have for breakfast. Because if that goes wrong, then everything else <laughs> you know, snowballs. It's just, you know, it's by just the so way, important. By the way, that's a very good point there, and I'm sorry I didn't bring it up. And that is... The more you eat, the hungrier you will be if you eat foods that enhance insulin secretion because insulin secretion will pull all of your blood sugar into fat um, uh, production, which in turn starves you. Uh, before I understood about PCOS, I, I, I have insulin resistance of the worst kind, both from my family history and, and personally. And I used to eat a bowl of organic, you know, rice flour, pasta, and not a, not a, not a soup bowl, but a, but a, a salad bowl full. And I would be starving at the end of it. And it drove my wife crazy, you know, and I was following two nutritionist guidelines and blah, blah, blah. And the more you eat the wrong foods, the more you eat to eat, you need to eat the wrong foods. That's that's the conundrum. That's the catch twenty two. And the less you eat of the wrong foods, the less you eat. Period. And there's your diet. That's the, that's again the remarkable thing is it, it, as you shift to a food that actually feeds your cells, your cells become sated. And once they're sated, you move on to other activities, hopefully more fun. And um, so that that's that's a big thing. That's that's pretty. I think that if if I always say, can, can you think about a protein source with every meal, just something, mm -hmm. and that and that does keep you full longer. And you know, I I know that um, even if you don't have PCOS, just in general, <laughs> yeah, it's helpful. I agree. You know? <laughs> I agree. So I think you know um, that we talked a little bit about um, before the call about this recent study that came out, um, basically saying that they found pretty much the the reason for PCOS and why it existed. Um, and it involved uh, genetic components um, uh, to PCOS and mentioned AMH. So I was wondering if you could just elaborate a little bit about that. Sure. I think the study was talking about the increased incidence and why that was happening. And it was essentially traced back to changes in and food consumption over the past 50 years. And, and here's the, 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 the short version. Um, epigenetics is the study of the impact of the environment on the expression of the genes of which we all have, which is the human genome. And that expression is, is, is impacted positively and negatively by the environment, whether it's exposure to starvation or, in this case, exposure to excess amounts of insulinogenic foods. And what they were suggesting is that the root cause of this increase in, in PCOS and thereby AMH is simply a marker of, of, of uh, follicular activity. 
And uh, PCOS patients tend to have persistent follicular genesis without maturation to ovulation. So, so AMH is typically elevated in PCOS patients, but they, but step back, what is the why of that? And that is due to the in, in enhanced exposure to insulin, remarkable insulin levels. So in the, in the fetus, which gets all the glucose and then of the insulin from the mom's consumption of, of uh, high carbohydrate foods. So what you're pouring into the fetus is nothing but glucose, but you can't, the insulin molecule is too big, so it can't cross the placenta. So therefore this baby is being exposed during um, uh, fetal, gen- uh, fetal development to excessive amounts of, um, of uh, insulinogenic um, of, uh, molecules, glucose, without the insulin to mitigate it. So the baby has to then work super hard with their own um, uh, pancreas to, to manage that as well as change the brain development uh, of that, that, uh, that uh, child uh, that's developing, especially a female. Males, not so much, of course, but females in particular because they're not supposed to be exposed to that much uh, androgen-producing um, insulin, insulin, insulin-like growth factors causes androgen production in their, even in the fetal ovaries. So, yes, generationally, and I tell my patients this, my fertility patients all the time, just remember, as you manage your PCOS, you're actually helping your grandchildren. You are reducing the chances that your daughter and your daughter's daughter, your grandchild, will have PCOS, which, of course, the concomitant elevation in AMH. Um, so it's a, it's a surrogate marker of excess amounts of insulin secretion in the fetus. So, man. If you don't want to do it for yourself, definitely do it for your daughter and your grandchildren. And so that was the cool thing for me. I mean, that's the cool thing about that study is that it sort of demonstrated that, oh my God, the answer is yes. What we do as pregnant moms absolutely influence our daughter's life and our daughter's daughter's life and probably your daughter's 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 life. And would that explain the higher incidence of gestational diabetes as well? Totally. Um, there is a high correlation, yeah, high correlation between PCOS and gestational diabetes. And there's a high correlation of PCOS with gestational diabetes in the mom. So again, generation and generation and generation. Interesting. Yes. And, you know, we're reading also about high testosterone levels during pregnancy and how that can cause, uh, I think that was a researcher recently put this out that, you know, it can also influence uh, the the daughter's health and uh, throughout, you know, so what can be done prior to pregnancy um, just as a simple, simple, but impossible to do easily. And that is understand that there was a medical mistake in 1970s, which gave the impression that carbs were good. There was such a thing as good carbs and that fats were bad. It was a misunderstanding of the data. And it fed into an industry of low fat dieting and low fat foods, which of course concomitantly would cause enormous increases in sugar content. So a low fat muffin has twice to three times the sugar or else it wouldn't be palatable. So we created these monsters, uh, not, not on purpose, of, 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 of industries that will feed into whatever it is we say we want to consume. So if now we say, okay, that's a fundamental error, 
and we go back 100 years or 200 years and say, okay, how do people consume? Or let's even go back to 1940. I mean, the average man's pant size in 1940 was 28 to 30. Today, the average man's pant size is 38 to 44. So that's just the average. So if we trust ourselves to say that our ancestors had a pretty damn good idea of how to eat, and we understand that this packaged foods and those kinds of things only contribute to increased sugar consumption, and if we can do something to get around that, that we would actually create a situation prior to pregnancy in which you would be more fertile. A, more fertile because you're gonna ovulate. And as I said, 25% of my patients in the Advanced PCOS Institute got pregnant on their own. Even though they originally came to me for fertility, they went, we, we moved them to the Advanced PCOS Institute so that they could manage their PCOS. They got pregnant on their own, so that's good. And then of course, if they can maintain that during their, their um, when they're pregnant, then the impact on the daughters, daughters, daughters would be reduced. And also they would not be as likely to get gestational diabetes, get hypertension and pregnancy induced hypertension, and then down the road, of course, diabetes and real hypertension. So that's how I would, that's how, that's how I would caution or recommend to your, to your, to your clientele that listen in. So, and, you know, do you believe that PCOS can be 100% reversed? I don't think it is. I mean, I, I think PCOS is a wonderful survival mechanism. That's, we didn't get a chance to talk about it, but I keep telling my PCOS patients, you are the perfect humans. You are the perfect humans uh, if we lived in famine. And prior to 10,000 years ago, we lived in famine. So the most ideal woman, as you can see from primitive uh, uh, artifacts, uh, the Venus, you know, statues, these are morbidly obese. Uh, they were considered perfect female. And so today the only issue we have is we don't have famine. If we had famine, you know, the best treatment for PCOS is living on a desert Island with very little food except for fish and some seaweed. I mean, there you go, you know, green crunchy vegetables and and a wonderful source of protein and very little carbs, <laughs> you know? So, oh, yeah. So I see a retreat idea. Coming. I'm, I'm there. <laughs> I'm gonna, I, I like it. <laughs> I want to go. <laughs> but really, it's that simple. There's nothing wrong. However, we are not a society associated with famine. And it's impossible to have famine almost anywhere, certainly in the United States or Australia or what have you. So, Let's give up on the idea that, you know, famine is where we're going to live and figure out how to live with plenty and, and be able to make better choices. And um, what would you, if you could think of an Internet resource for a woman with PCOS, what would you recommend? I don't have one. I unfortunately, am, I view all of them. And maybe it's just... Um, your website, floridacompletewellness.com. <laughs> because I, I think there's too much misinformation and really too many um, lost folks. And I think it, it's scary. But in terms of like um, other resources, like a book, Why We Get Fat by Gary Tobbs is fantastic. Good fats, bad, um, good calories, bad calories, fantastic. Um, it's a really digs deep into the genesis of why we are where we are. And again, he's looking at obesity, but just look at insulin because it's about insulin. Those are two books that I think are just in my library that I just, I can go back to a hundred times and get a nugget of information. Now the why we get fat is sort of a dumbed down version of 
good calories, bad calories. And what I mean thumbed down is that in the good calories, bad calories, there's kind of all kinds of uh, references and research and it's exhaustive. I mean, he's a, he's a scientific journalist. Um, but the good, uh, why we get fat is sort of just the key kernels of the, what he's trying to teach in this big tone. So, but I, I think the audience can absolutely read the uh, good calories, bad calories and get a huge amount out of it. Oh, definitely. We'll post that up and uh, post a link to that in our show notes. And um, I'm just going to end with a parting piece of guidance for our listeners and the best way we can connect with you. Oh, well, um, my name is Dr. Paul Magarelli, and I think there's not another one in the world, so that's easy. Um, uh, uh, Info at hqafertilitycenters.com. Gosh, uh, www.hqaivf.com. Or, uh, you know, just... uh, my name associated with um, PCOS or just simply my name associated with reproduction. My, my goal really is to have folks like you and others understand the principles because I don't think you need a fancy schmancy degree uh, if, if you understand the, 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 the physiology um, and the biology or biochemistry of humans. Um, remember that your audience, uh, PCOS, you're the perfect female. There's nothing more perfect than you. Um, you, you represent the finest in uh, reproductive potential in a, in an environment which there's famine. So since you're not there, then you have to, you have to change a little to, to be in a, an environment of plenty, but that's okay too, because that also gives you a survival, uh, benefit. Um, that fertility is inherent in your genes and inherent in the, you as a human. So you're, you are fertile. It's not that you're infertile. It's just that you're just that not a, because of issues related to insulin resistance, you're, you're not as optimal and you can be more optimal just with little changes. You got to get good resources. I think certainly traditional Chinese medicine docs are a phenomenal resource, especially fellows in the American Board of Oriental Reproductive Medicine. They've taken extra training and they really understand the West East. And then you know, you are allowed to ask your doctor to to work with uh, an integrative uh, physician, uh, a Western doctor, and say, listen, I would like to work together with these docs, and we're here to help me be better, uh, me being the patient. And, um, you know, anything you can do to feel better about yourself is always a good thing. So just if you could take the takeaway that you represent the finest in what it is to be a female, I think that's a great place to start. I think that's been the most amazing takeaway we've ever had on this show. Thank you, Dr. Paul McCarley. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies, you are perfect. (laughs) Well, they tell me that every day, so I can only believe that. Uh, yeah. We already knew. Right, exactly. But, uh, but it takes me a long time. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. It's really been a pleasure. And we will definitely invite you back um, for more conversations. And ladies, please don't forget to go to our Facebook page and uh, check out our links that we've spoken about today. Have a wonderful week. That's the end of this episode of the PCOS Revolution podcast. If you've enjoyed the show and want to help me spread the word about how women with PCOS and hormonal imbalances can lead happier, more healthier lives, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. They really do make a difference. If you'd like to have a question answered on the show or would like to recommend a guest, please go to floridacompletewellness.com slash podcast. If you're on social media, you can follow me at 
facebook.com slash Florida Complete Wellness and twitter.com slash Florida Complete, where I post a lot of interesting research, webinars, and articles on our blog about really getting to the root of hormonal imbalances like PCOS. So it's a great way to stay in touch with the latest developments. Thanks so much for listening and see you soon. Thank you.